right around the birth of Christ, the Romans came with this concept of the mile. It was the distance covered by a thousand pieces of Roman legion. Now, that empire fell. A bunch of them came out. But for 2,000 years of human history, everybody thought the same thing. That nobody, nobody can run the distance of a mile in less than four minutes. It's not going to happen. It is just simply impossible to get it done. And I hate that word, impossible. Now, one day, this skinny kid in England decided to take a crack at it. Now, there were crummy conditions. There was wind. There was a little bit of rain. Uh, the, the track was muddy. But he said they could be done. And they all think that he was not, uh, which is exactly what they have been telling many of us. When we started dreaming about Madras Church, they were like, there are so many churches in Newnan, you're going to have another one. So that idea of being not, because you're trying to do something that has not been done, it's kind of not new. But there he was. Just like many of us when we started dreaming about Madras, this guy called Roger, I mean, I, I remember the name, uh, Bannister. Gosh. Okay, good thing I didn't ask if you know it, because you have ruined my entire story, Lee. Um, this guy, Roger Bannister, thought that he could do it. So this skinny, slimy person decided to just take a crack at it. So everybody gathered, because nobody in 2,000 years of human history has been able to run a mile in less than four minutes. So he starts running, and around... Um, and, and he still had three more laps to get it done. And he was starting feeling it. He was getting tired. He thought that he could not do it. And then through his head, starting just this thought going around, maybe everybody was right. Maybe it can just not be done. Maybe I'm not. Maybe it is impossible. But just around the last lap, when he's turning around, he starts hitting a crazy roar. It was the noise of everybody that went to see him run. And that just was like new wind that filled his sails and started pushing harder. And he crossed the line at 3 minutes, 59.4 seconds, right before 4 minutes. In 2 for 2,000 years of human history, nobody have done it. In that instant, that skinny bread shattered everything we thought about human limitations. But what was special about him? So Lee, don't answer. It's part of my story. What is special about him? He wasn't, he wasn't a runner. He wasn't even a professional. He was a scientist. He was a doctor of neurology, and that's how he knew that everything we know about human limitations, it wasn't in the body, but it was in the mind. 2,000 years since the invention of the mile, and nobody ran it faster than Roger Bannister. Now, do you know, let's see, Lee, do you know how long it took to the second person to run? The, it took the second person to run it under four minutes, 46 days. 
But you remember the name of that person? Lee? Me neither. <laughs> the thing is, the ways of the kingdom that Jesus was bringing did not fit in any container or framework. After all, Jesus did say, you don't put new wine in old wineskins because then the, wine skins, uh, the, the new wine will burst the wineskins and then you will lose the wineskins and you will lose the new wine. Instead, you put new wine in new wineskins. The ways of the kingdom that Jesus was bringing was not fitting in any framework or container of his time. And that seems to be God's way. God loves to do new ways and it's always clashing with our way of doing things, because I'm pretty sure at some point, all of you have said or heard, we have always done it this way. That's a bishop and superintendent. You probably heard that a lot from churches. We have always done it this way. Why, we, why should we change it? But God is constantly doing, doing new things. We see one thing, God sees a whole different one. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit about the story of David today. But the thing, the thing that I'm not reading in the passage that I'm going to be reading is this one from Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that says, Looks are in everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. But God judges persons different than humans do. Men and women look at the face, but I look into their Hearts, And I'm sure you're familiar with the story of David. It's this shepherd that just showed up. Well, he shows up in Scripture before that. But he comes into um, a more protagonist role when the Israelites are facing the Philistines. And then the Philistines send this giant. And one of the ways the war used to be waged um, in all times in order to avoid a lot of blood which is each army send their stronger soldier, and the one who defeats the other one, the war is over. So the Philistines sent this giant who was taunting the Israel army for 40 days, and nobody, nobody there to face him. Every day and every night, Goliath was coming and say, like, so who's coming? I'm taking everybody down. And the story of David and the story of Roger Bannister and the story of Madras Church and the story of many of you is the story about ordinary people who confront giants. It's the story of an individuals, individuals, a group of people that at some point had to face with the question, should I persevere or should I just give up? During our entire almost two years of trying to plan and work and see what Madras Church was going to be, we had that question many, many times. Should we persevere? Should we give up? So let me read this passage to you from Samuel chapter 17, verses 26 through 44. David was talking to the men standing around him and asked, what is in for the man who kills the Philistine and gets rid, gets rid of this ugly blood of, in Israel, on Israel's honor. Who does, think, who does he think he is anyway? This is a circumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the God alive. 
And they told him what everybody has been saying about what the king will do for the man who killed the Philistine. And Eliab, his older brother, David's older brother, heard David fraternizing with men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending to this crony flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at the bloody battle. Siblings, huh? What is it with you, said David? All I did, all I did is to ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned it to someone else and asked the same question, right? What is it for the man who defeats the Philistines? So David was pretty cocky. There was something about him that gave him confidence, like, what's happening? So the things that David was saying, they reached the ears of Saul, and Saul called David to his tent. And it seems like before Saul talks, David speaks and says, Master, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. To what Saul answers, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You are too young. You're inexperienced. He's been in the fighting business since before you were born. You were born. And David said, I've been a shepherd tending to the sheep of my fathers. Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I got after it. I knock it down. I rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I grab it by the throat, wring his neck, its neck, and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I kill it. And I go and do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting the troops of the God alive. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws from the, of the bear will deliver me. From him. So it seems like Saul was without any other solutions. Like, okay, go and may God be with you. So before David left, Saul was trying to prepare David for battle, giving him his helmet, um, part of his armor, his sword. And it seems Saul, we read in scripture, there was a big guy. David is not describing it as a big one. So David was having a hard time walking. And he said, I can't even move with all this stuff. I'm not used to this. And he took it off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five stones from the brook, from the brook and put them in the pocket on his shepherd's pack. And with his sling, he approached Goliath. And the Philistine paced back and forward, back and forward. And he saw David and he said, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And he cursed him by his dog. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make you roadkill for the bastards, and I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. And David answered, you come to me with a sword, spear, and battle axe, but I come to you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel troops whom you curse and mock. This very day is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut, your, cut off your head. I'll serve, serve up your body and the body of your Philistine bodies to the crowds and coyotes. The whole earth will know that it's an extraordinary God of Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword and spear. The battle belongs to God. He is handing you to us on a platter. That rose the Philistine and he started, started uh, towards David. And David took, us, took off from the front line and not running towards the Philistine. David reached out of his pocket from a stone as long as and hit the Philistine 
hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. And the Philistine crushed face down to earth. And that's how David beat the Philistine. With a sling and a stone, he hit him and killed him. No sore for David. How you doing? Can you sign sexy with like my accent or? Uh, well, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Got it. I got it. You want people to pay attention to what I'm saying? Yeah. Got it. So that was a miracle. That was a crazy miracle. That was probably, everybody knows this story. Everybody at some point in their life were facing something difficult like, God, just give me the grace that you gave David so I can go and do this and face this giant and just bring it down and kill it. But when did this miracle happen? Because God didn't give David superpowers. God uh, didn't weaken Goliath. God didn't direct the stone. Goliath didn't get a heart attack. It seems like for all the information that we had, it was a fight fair and square. Or was it? David was brilliant. He was unstructured. He wasn't a soldier. He was, but he was a warrior. He did not feel, he did not fit the soldier box. And at the end, that out-of-the-box thinking that David had was what gave him a different vision, a different view that the boxed soldiers used to war didn't have. There was some confidence in David. When he arrived, he didn't say, okay, this is how we're going to kill it. David saw what was happening. He knew that he can defeat the giant. All he needed to know is, what is it for me? He, he was so secure. He was so sure that he was going to beat him. But the miracle didn't happen right there. The miracle happened when his father didn't even think about him. When God was choosing the new king, but God already saw him. When God was choosing among his brothers for the new king, God was rejecting every single one of his brothers and until says like, so do you, and then the prophet said, do you have another son? And the father was, well, there is one that is just tending to the sheep, but come on, he's the youngest one. But God saw David's heart and that moment was enough for David to be empowered. King Saul was not able to see beyond his army, was not able to see beyond the typical battle plans. He was used to war, of a way of fighting it. But David was used to fight animals. David was used to fight unexpected circumstances. David was used to play without rules. So what is the big deal here? David and Roger Bannister shared similar characteristics. Roger Bannister wasn't a runner, wasn't even a professional. David wasn't a soldier. But when Roger Bannister was about to give up, he heard the roar of people cheering him, and that was enough for him to just give it one more push and did what he, what he wanted to do. What David had under him and over him and around him was the confidence that God has seen him. David knew 
that he was chosen for something. That even though his father rejected him, even though the soul said that he was inexperienced, even though that his brother was thinking like, oh, he's coming to see everybody murder, David remembered, well, back in the day, the prophet said that God saw my heart. God has, David had God's support in him. Now, something that we need to understand, because I keep saying, so David, David and Goliath's fight wasn't fair. And we all have this idea that, you know, Goliath always will beat, will beat David in a, in a battle anytime. But David played an unfair battle. So King Saul wants to give you his armor. It's like, this is the way we do these battles. And David was like, you know what? This is not working for me. I'm going to do it my own way. The thing about professions sometimes is that we have written and unwritten rules that can start building walls around you and take a lot of the imagination that you come in with. So at that moment, David was seeing something that nobody else was seeing. David went to play a fight, and Goliath was ready to fight David in one way, but David came to a fight, and it was pretty unfair. Neither David or Roger Bannister Applied for human limitations. They thought, well, you know what? I've been doing this in this way. Or I know that we, it can be that in a different way. Let's just take a crack at it. Now, why am I saying that David and Goliath had an unfair fight? So David was a slinger. A slinger was equivalent to a sniper. So Saul came with, uh, Goliath came to David with a hacks, with a sword, with a shield, with a spear. David came with a sling. So this moved to the 2021. So David brought a gun to a knife fight. There was no way statistically in which David would lose that fight. He was so confident. Like, I don't even have to get close to that guy. I will just put a stone through his head. David and Goliath's fight, it was unfair for Goliath. That's why David was so confident. So what does this have to do with anything? When we started Matter Church, and let's see, if I'm the original families, Nick, Nick was there that day. Nearly, we were there too. We had, we had this gathering. And I'm like, well, what if, what if we make this happen? And we had this, and I'm paraphrasing here what he said, like this uh, former member of our team, he said, uh, we don't have anything to compete with any church in Union, so we should not even try it. We don't have money. Uh, we have a building that is falling apart. We don't have an elder, and we have little support. We don't have anything to compete with any church in Union. Why should we even try? And what this person failed to see is that churches don't compete with each other. We're, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, somebody's just casting demons in your name, what did Jesus do? He's like, hey, if they're not against us, they're with us. And it's the same with churches. We're not competing with anybody, but 
We're going to take a crack to what other churches are not doing. We're going to try to reach out to those who dislike churches, to those that think that churches don't have anything good to offer, to those that have been deeply hurt by the church. Let's serve those that other churches are not serving, not because we're competing with them, but all together are expanding God's kingdom. We're not competing with each other. We're just trying to reach those that have not been reached out yet or would like to see the sometimes different. And we had several members at Madras that I, I asked them, and Ru is one of them, why are you still doing at a church? Why are you still doing at a church? So people that, have been hurt, people that have been hurt and still wants to give church a chance, and we want to try to be that. It's a long task. It's extremely tiring. Um, nobody is going to be fully happy. It's going to be and is a beautiful, beautiful mess. But I think we have what it takes. We're the only church, and you know, who can say, well, everybody is absolutely, radically, unseenly welcome here. Your voice is going to be heard. We're going to share a microphone during worship service where you can share what God has been doing with your life. We want to learn from you how to do things. We don't know. We haven't figured it out anything yet. We're just launching today. So we want Matters Church to be a place where you can come. And, and if you say to us, well, you're not doing this then come and teach us how to do that because we need people that tell us what we're not doing so we can be more effective as servers of the kingdom of God. It might take time. It might be slow. It might be tiring. People might get really mad at us. But let me tell you something. You need to look at yourself. There is no magic prayer that we can do for you today that will equip you for what we're going to be doing because like David... God has already seen your heart. If you're here today, if you were here the past few months, it's because you have this curiosity that maybe we have something different to offer, or you have the curiosity to see, let's see if this church is like the other ones. And hopefully, we have something different to offer you. If we're not a place for you, I promise you there are many churches that will welcome you with open arms. If you're coming to Mother's Church, you need to get ready for trouble. You need to get ready to be uncomfortable. You need to get ready to be challenged. You need to be ready to be loved. Because it's very uncomfortable for people that haven't experienced love and have experienced a lot of hurt to feel love. Unconditional and without expectation love is very uncomfortable if you have not felt that before. It's very suspicious. So we need you. We need your support. We need your voice. We need your spirit. God has seen your heart. You have been prepared for this. 
There is nothing new that we can add to you. We just need you to come to us like David and just tell us, what have you not been doing? And you will have a voice and you will be heard and you will be welcome to lead us into serving and loving others. No one puts new wine in old wineskins because the wine will be wasted, the wineskins will be burst, we lost everything. You put new wine and new wineskin. The waste of the kingdom of Jesus was bringing did not fit any framework or context, and that's how Madras Church was born. The people that started this did not fit in other ways of doing life, in other ways, in other faith communities. That's why this was born. We need a new wineskin for this wine. We want to be flavorful. We want to be the new wine that the city needs. We want to walk in the supernatural. We want to play this game in a new way. We want to play an unfair fight. And what's the unfair fight? Every time that somebody tells us that churches don't welcome you, we'll say like, well, you're actually welcoming ours. Well, you don't have gay people in your church. Well, we had gay people preaching. Well, what about people with disability? Well, we have been doing a lot of training, and we even are trying to be as successful as we can. We're playing an unfair fight. And it cost, and it's timely, and it will demand so many things of you. So, with that being said, I want to welcome in, welcome you to the constantly changing and transforming Madras Church.